So this is Cinema Slaughter, and we are recording multiple episodes of The Legend of Ozark Pete and the Devil's Toenail. And we are considering this a table read of a 70,000-word novel and in the hopes that we uh, convert this to a screenplay. Uh, so I hope people enjoy this. This is uh, something that I wrote uh, a few years back, and it was kind of a, a test to see if I could actually write a novel, and I got it done. So I've been kind of fiddling and farting around and, and not completing the edits. Um, but Omar and I have uh, you know, worked on other projects together, and so this is kind of the impetus for us to, to start working on the screenplay of the novelization of this story. So anyway, it's kind of a long-winded thing. I don't know if we need this, but for posterity's sake, um, I figured I'd give it a preamble. And miss anything, Omar? <clears throat> and I hope not. I just, you know, I hope you guys enjoy this. I think it's a really interesting kind of fun story, kind of dark and, <laughs> and wicked, just like the way we like it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I figured, uh, you know, it'd be kind of uh, fun to read it. All right, we're going to dig right audience. in and we're going to read the first chapter. So, again, this is The Legend of Ozark Pete and the Devil's Toenail. The fuck I did, Pete? What's wrong with you? I told you once, I told you a hundred times. You're going to swing for this shit. Old Jeb stood there in his dirty overalls, caked with God knew what all quivering in his boots he knew better than anyone what living this life could do to a man to his family the small room was dimly lit and the smoke from the oil lamp as well as the fireplace filled the shack not only with the golden red light but with the gray haze which seemed to hang over their heads there was a weight in this house that never left it was as palpable as the two cousins squared off in the small room hunched over the stone jug on the table between them Pete stared at the older man. Jeb's thinning, grimy black hair was pasted to his sweaty scalp. He could smell him, unwashed and stinking like wood smoke and body odor. His smell was a certainty Pete had grown up with. If cleanliness was next to godliness, well, then his cousin Jeb already had one foot in hell. He took another pull of corn from the stone jug and winced as the venom burned his throat and continued to dull his senses. He welcomed it, especially after the day he had had. Can't you use a cup like me? You know what I hate it when you do that, especially after you're done eight. Nothing. Sorry, sometimes it's a little wonky here. So uh, let's see. <laughs> that redneck talk. So especially the day after he had after the day he had had. Can't you use a cup like me? You know that I hate it when you do that, especially after you're done eight. Nothing I hate more than you damn backwashing the corn, Jeb said. Pete ignored him as he continued, as if he had never spoken, staring so fiercely that Jeb was beginning to become anxious. Jeb, I ain't about to give this a go, like I said afore, unless you ain't gonna run it with me. Ain't no one else around these parts that I trust half as much as you. Besides, we're kin. Who else is going to do it with me if not you? 
Pete held firm in his conviction, knowing full well the old moonshiner was about to fold like an old out-of-luck gambler. The two men squared off again as they were wont after dinner in the small, dirty kitchen, the last light of day long since gone, and the dirty dishes stacked in the sink, keeping the last night's dirty dishes company. Jeb reached across the wood and snatched a greasy glass from the scratched tabletop. His hairy-knuckled, chubby hand gripped at the handle as he gulped the clear liquid from the mug. Not many were capable of polishing off that much shine as quickly as old Jeb, but Pete knew Jeb was drinking shine before his mama's teat gave him a taste of milk. His hand traced an arc to the table, and Pete could see the dewdrops dripping off of Jeb's whiskers into his lap, looking like an old bear just came up from the river without a fish. Well, old man... What you say? Is you gonna help me kill Jeremiah Yagger or what? Pete's gray eyes held Jeb's brown ones in thrall. He knew he was going to say yes to him. Pete always had a way of convincing that some bitch of just about anything and any time. When Pete was a kid of about nine, Jeb was almost 17 and he had his own still already, hidden where no one could find it, of course. He prided himself on that fact. Jeb was downright secretive, all right. He knew all the old hiding places around these parts. Well, he made that old boy break down in no time and give him the secret location of that still to him. Nine years old, and he could wear him down. No one else could make old Jeb spill his guts like Pete could. Okay, boy, I'll help. His hairy arms sawed across his mouth, cleaning the last bit of shine from his cracked lips. Jeb paused for a moment, staring intently at the cracks in the old tabletop before he looked up at the younger man and slowly shook his head. Before I do, you need to promise me something. He nodded his head toward Pete. Name it, cousin. What you want? Pete replied. I'll help you, but I don't want no part of what comes from it. Nothing but trouble is going to come from going down this here road. You mark my words. Trouble. You know as well as I do that Jeremiah is the boss in this here county, and he won't take kindly to you a-stepping and raising yourself up. And that is exactly what you plan on doing. You think you better than him? What makes you think that you're going to be able to step to him and his fellers? They got the... Pete interrupted. Oh, hell with Jeremiah! You know goddamn well that Shawnee upstart is no business selling shine in these here parts. His kin ain't from around here as long as ours. And I'll be goddamned! Jeb winced every time the younger man blasphemed, as if the hand of God would smash through that old roof and punch Pete straight through the floorboards and take him and Jeb straight to hell. Pete continued unfazed. That's right. I'll be goddamned if not let that bastard from Illinois tell us what's good for us. Now you listen to me, cousin, and listen real good. I'm tired of licking boots for a living. And I'm tired of having to be happy with hand-me-down shoes and hand-me-down pants. His voice was raised now, and it seemed to shake the dust from the rafters and rattle the glasses on the table. These here britches are so old, the patches got patches on them. No siree, Jeb. I intend to take back what's mine uh, and what's ours. That's right. No more are we going to be eating dirt and living in shacks while Jeremiah and that whole Yaggart clan is living high on the hog. Pete suddenly realized that at some point during the rant, he had stood up 
and planted both fists knuckled down on the tabletop. The rough-hewn wood digging into his fingers made him realize how quickly his anger had got the best of him. Jeb realized it too and sunk down in his chair. Pete seldom got his way with anyone outside his family, and usually Jeb was the only one that he could lose his temper with and not have to worry about a fight. Pete seldom rocked the boat with anyone. He wasn't much of a fighter, and his wiry 5'8 frame wasn't long on intimidation, but when he raised his voice, he sure could sound like the grizzly that ate the beehive. Now, Pete, no need to get ornery now. I already said I'd help. I just don't want no troubles all. Yaggarts have been here since Jeremiah was two, and that's over 30 years by my reckoning. More than enough time to make enough friends in these here parts, and Pete shouted again, God damn it, Jeb Chrisman! You know what they call me? His words boomed through the tiny shack. Come on, cousin, you know what Jeremiah Yaggart and his clan calls me? Pete paused for a moment, waiting for Jeb to answer. Jeb knew the nickname the Yaggarts used on his cousin and also knew, knew that it drove Pete crazy. Now Pete's blood was up and there was little Jeb could do except keep his head down and ride it out. It was a known fact around these parts that the Chrismans always shied from a fight. That's right, old Jeb, Pete said, his voice real low, his words slow and deliberate. Yaggarts call me Ozark Pete, and they ain't nothing in the way they use the word Ozark that makes a man proud. They use that word like it was a curse. They use that word Ozark like it was something to be ashamed of. No Yaggart ever knew what it was like to come from Missouri. They was forced out of Illinois. I heard tell they was crooks and murderers, and they snuck out of there like thieves in the night. They had to come here. They didn't want to come here. And like the sneaks they really are, they made friends real fast. They brought their way, they bought their way into this community. Our community. My community! The St. Francois is where our daddy and his daddy's daddy and his daddy afore him grew up. Then them Yaggarts get here. Afore we knew it, the Christmas name was as good as mud. The farm was lost. The Yaggards jumped on in there just as quick as you please and bought the damn land. All of it. It was so generous of that Percy Yaggart to let us Christmas stay on and continue to work for him, wasn't it? Pete was twisting around the room in a tight circle with his arms stretched out as if to show off all that remained of their hard work. One bedroom, a tiny living room, and a tinier kitchen the guest house on the property that was once their birthright. Well, Jeb, I'll be horse-whipped if and I let Jeremiah Yaggard call me that one more time and not mean it with respect. Pete stopped speaking and the silence filled the room. It made the two men almost uncomfortable but still afraid to speak, afraid of what might be said. Pete slowly looked around the shack, despising every inch of it, hating himself for the coward that he was always too afraid to stand up for himself, like his daddy had been against the Yaggarts when they came to town. They brought bad luck with them. Nothing had gone right from the stories his daddy told him. Even the milk cows had gone dry that season. They'd sooner kick you as yield them. Well, you start that again. They'd sooner kick you as yield the drop of milk. The worst winter they'd had was that same year, 
winner at 1875. Of course, Pete hasn't been born yet, but he heard, he'd hear that as well as many other stories, too many about the Eggerts and how bad luck seemed to follow him. Bad luck for the Christmas, that is, like a pale horse, his daddy always said, like a pale horse. Okay, Pete, I'll help you. Old Jeb broke the silence first. All you have to do is tell me what you need from me and I'll do it. I ain't no friend of the Eggerts. No, sir. Ain't no friend at all. You know as well as I do that every time he calls the Ozark, he's insulting all of us. But people, especially porns, keep their mouths shut when money's involved. And then the Eggerts have plenty of more money. Pete, most of the folks hereabouts keep their mouths shut and their hands open when they, when it comes to it. No one likes them Yegerts, least of all us. But how do you think to get over on them? Tell me you've got a plan at least. Old Jeb's brown eyes were watery now, pleading with the younger man that he had some inspiring words for him. He was scared of the Eggerts. They were brutal men, and they were hired, and they hired men even more brutal to do their dirty work. There was no easy way to go against them. Not when half the country was in their pockets, the sheriff and his deputies included. Pete just smiled. I got a plan, cousin. Boy, do I have a plan. Ain't no one coming to see it. Ain't no one gonna see it coming. Jaeger or no Jaeger. No one gonna see it coming. And even if they did, ain't nobody, ain't nothing any of them could do about it. No. No how. He sat back down, the old chair creaking under the wiry frame. He poured them a few drinks and raised a glass to Jeb, the moodlet steaming in through the kitchen window refracted through the glass and set the cold glow that seemed to light Pete's face and eyes. It looked to Jeb like the glint of wolf eyes, the way Pete's pupils lit up. He'd seen that look before, just not from Pete, and he didn't like it. Pete took a deep breath and exhaled, tipped the lip of the mason jar to his thin line of mouth and emptied the glass in one swig. He closed his eyes and held the liquid in his mouth for a second and allowed to burn a line down his throat like liquid fire. It rushed through his veins and seemed to alight through his entire body, filling his limbs with an otherworldly strength. He needed it now if he was going to talk about his plan with Jeb. He wasn't going to like it, not one bit, he thought. He opened his eyes, the sting of the moonshine, filling his eyes with their own burning liquid, and he blinked the tears away. Jeb... You're going to take us to old, see old Gertie? Jeb stared at him for a second and burst out laughing, high-pitched crazy, high-pitched crazy thing that seemed to have a life of its own. He laughed until the sides were about to bust, until it turned into a sort of wheezing and trailed off into a choking fit that seemed like it was a fixin' to kill Jeb right there in the kitchen. Pete got up quickly and reached around Jeb's back and proceeded to beat a rhythm into his back trying to help bring up whatever words he was choking on. Jeb shook his head and composed himself. Is you out of your fucking mind, he croaked. Pete remained silent and went back to his side of the table and took his seat. He knew not to push Jeb just yet. He needed some time to let it sink. Jeb started again. Old Gertie is just a stupid thing Mama told the kids to take their medicine. To do chores and such. Old Gertie ain't a real person. She's a fairy tale, you moron. Jeb slowly shook his head from side to side and down another glass of moonshine and proceeded to refill his glass. He looked at Pete across the dark room, the oil lamp 
seemed to dim somehow, and the room felt cold now, as if the name of Gertie seemed to snuff the warmth. Pete cleared his throat and spoke softly. Jeb, you and I both know she was real, or maybe still is real. But either way, you and I know you've seen her, and you know where her shack is hid. Pete grinned across the table, inviting Jeb to deny it. Don't try to pretend that you don't know she ain't real, or that you didn't brag on it, neither. I remember that night, Halloween, in fact. You took us kids out the hag's maze. You remember it, don't you? You would take a bunch of us up there to the maze and get us lost up there. And when we were scared shitless, you'd finally help us there. As a result, as a reward for being good sports, you'd let us have all the sh- <laughs> You'd have all s- some of the shine you made. We'd sit under that old dead oak. Remember that old tree? old tree cousin that old tree was as naked as a babe not a single leaf on that thing and it was as black as the pit of hell you told us the devil himself came up from the pit and cut that tree with his bowie knife and turned that old into his throne there he'd sit at the top of that old tree that old oak tree and he could see every square inch of that san francois mountains and he could see all the children up there up these here parts and he knew which ones he wanted for himself and which he didn't. I also remember what you said to us. You said if we if and we didn't drink the shine in one gulp, the devil would be disappointed and those children would be lost in the maze, never to come out again. You remember that, cousin. You remember that night when we first told us about old Gertie, the witch, about how you saw her one night when he was just a boy. You called me out by name that night out of all the kids that night. And you said to me, Pete, you says, I saw that old witch. And when I was just about your age, she was tall, Pete, tall and thin and dead like, like that old oak. She had long, thin arms and legs that seemed to end up in points like the branches in a tree. Her hair was wild, like a shock creeper mossed up all dried up. And when I seen her that night, she was dancing around a fire and heard the sound of drums, drums beat, beating in the forest. And she danced and danced around that fire some more, never stopping except to raise her arms on the moon. And when she did, then those old black arms, they was scratching at the old moon, calling it down like to settle down in that glade, like it was hers, like she was in control of it. And she was. I never forget that story, Jeb. I know you, and I know it'd be the truth. Ain't no made up fairy tale. Gertie the witch is real, and so is the power she gives. So is the devil's toenail. And that is the power, the kind of power we need now. Jeb didn't look up from his mug. It was empty again, and he couldn't recall finishing it. His throat was as dry as sandpaper, and he wanted to drink more. Drink until the jug was drained to the dregs. Drink until he got blind, stinking drunk, and then drink some more. He needed to forget this conversation and forget that he had told the story to old Pete. He remembered it, of course. He could never forget it, but he kicked himself in the ass now for ever telling it to Pete. He liked to brag, of course, didn't he? But he told that story in the hopes to scare the living hell out of those kids, especially Pete. He was always a smartass, worst of all those damn little cousins of his. He was a little know-it-all, smarter than the rest, if not braver or stronger. That kid always seemed to be one step ahead of the rest of them. 
Jeb hated it. That smug smile all the time, like he'd know that Jeb was thinking before he did himself. He told that story to those kids and called and called Pete out in the hopes to get even with him. Show that squirt who was boss. It, it had worked, too, for many years. Pete deferred to Jeb in most things, as he should. Whenever Pete got a little out of hand, the threat old Gertie came up just enough to see that whippersnapper go bug-eyed and jump in line. For a long time, Pete, <laughs> for a long time, maybe till Pete was about 15 or so, that kid thought Jeb had a direct line of that old witch. Like he could just call it a favor like. Jeb chuckled. He could feel the hum of that shine dulling his senses. He loved the way his face, he loved the way his face and head would start to gum up, kind of look, kind of get floaty feeling like it did now. He welcomed it and began to chuckle some more. Just what is so goddamn funny? Pete stared at the top of Jeb, Jeb's head. I still staring into his glass. Nothing. Just I'm empty and I sure could use some more. If you're serious about all this, his voice trailed off and he felt a fist-sized lump growing in his throat. He grunted hard, trying to growl it up. Pete, why don't you go get us some more of that barrel in the barn? And once we have some libations, we can continue this conversation. For unless I'm good and drunk, you ain't getting me to listen one more second. You hear me? Jeb raised his head and stared his bloodshot, rear-rimmed eyes into Pete's liquid graze. And he held him there, and Pete knew beyond any doubt he may have had that the damn witch was real. She ain't no made-up spook, no fairy tale. She was real as the two of them, as real as the shack they were sitting in now. She was real unless he she was real, and unless he got Jeb about three sheets to the wind, he wasn't about to tell him where she lived. And sure as shit wasn't going to take him there. He quickly exited the small room and deftly snatched the empty jug by its tiny handle and bolted for the barn. Jeb yelled at him as he ran. That's right, boy. You better hurry. That witch ain't waiting for no man. 